Well, if you haven't yet, turn to Romans chapter 6, please. Romans chapter 6, that's where we'll be this morning. And our sermon title is New in Christ. New in Christ. I want to be honest with you before getting into the introduction. There were a lot of things I wanted to say uh, that the text doesn't say. And sometimes that's unfortunate. But I think most, if not always, it's for the good. That we don't say what the text doesn't say. We say what the text says. And I don't know that there's a better text in welcoming the new year than to focus our hearts and minds on our union with Christ. Our union with Christ. That's what Paul is getting at here. Perhaps you've heard the phrase, it's hard to teach an old dog new tricks. This last week I heard that if a child does not learn a language by the age of 12, they're not going to learn a language. Now you may think, why on earth would a child not learn a language before age 12? It was a very extreme circumstance, but the reminder is, it is very hard, if not impossible, to teach children language if they've not learned it by age 12. Now, when we think about the Christian life, when we think about our new life in Christ, the reminder is that the old has passed away, and behold, the new has come. So while it may be hard to teach an old dog new tricks, and it may be impossible to teach a child over 13 a language for the very first time, it is also impossible for us to accomplish the things of God apart from the new life in Him. It is impossible to accomplish the things of God apart from the new life in Him. We may work and we may strive and we may toil, but it is impossible to accomplish the things of God apart from the new life in Christ. We have this garden in our backyard. If you've come and spent time with us since we've moved into our home, uh, you would snicker at the word garden because it is not a garden. It is an overgrown wood uh, weed uh, haven where who knows what lives in there. And at this point, we're just ready to leave it alone forever. When we think about our new life in Christ, we recognize that it's not with subpar material that God works. It's not with uh, awful material that God works. It's actually through dead material that God brings new life. It's through our dead hearts where Christ, by the power of His Spirit, makes us new. Because of our hearing of the gospel, He makes us new to accomplish the things that He's called us to. So friends, as we think about this new year and all of the perhaps resolutions or goals and plans and dreams and desires that we might have for ourselves, let's focus in on who we are called to be because of our union with Christ. For it's impossible to accomplish the things of God outside of the new life 
in Christ. That's why Paul, beginning not even just in chapter 6, but he's just come off of chapter 5, talking about how we, as descendants of Adam, have been born into death. That because of Adam, this first parent, we are born in sin. Romans chapter 3 says the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. Because while death comes through Adam, Paul concludes chapter 5 by saying, but life in Christ. Just as the one man, Adam, caused all of humanity to fall into sin, so too The one man, Christ Jesus, by his righteous living, will cause all who call on him to be made righteous. So Paul opens up this argument in chapter 6 by asking, so if that's the case, should we continue to sin? He's just laid out under Adam, we were under the law, but now under Christ, we're under grace. Where trespass and sin abounded, grace abounded all the more. So the question he opens with is, should we then continue in sin so that grace would abound all the more? His answer, by no means. Paul does this awesome rhythm of asking a question, explaining and answering the question that focuses our heart on what he's causing us to do. And he centers all of this on the work of Christ. He says, by no means, by no means are we to do that. Friend, I want you to hear very clearly this morning, if you are in Christ, you are under grace. You are under grace in the new life in Christ. But friend, hear the words of Paul. Should we abuse that grace and continue to sin so that grace abounds? Absolutely not. If you hear one thing from this sermon, may it be that you would forsake sin in 2024. May you fight against sin more than you ever have in 2024. May I fight against sin more than I ever have in 2024. I've seen many social media posts of maybe not the doom and gloom of what 2024 will hold, But when you start to think about all of the things that 2024 might encapsulate, it could cause us great fear. It could cause us great frustration and perhaps even faithlessness. But friend, in 2024, no matter what comes, may we forsake sin in 2024. For Paul answers this question, by no means, how can we who died to sin still live in it? How can we who died to sin still live in it? I love the definition that my brother-in-law gives about sin. He might not do it now because he's a senior pastor, but when he was a children's pastor, he would say that sin is anything you say, think, do, or don't do that does not bring glory to God. Sin is anything you think, say, do, or don't do that doesn't bring glory to God. So friend, by that definition, let us forsake those things that bring dishonor and may we seek to bring glory to Christ because we're united with Him. Paul will then get into 
For we who have died to sin, is it, how can we still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ were baptized into his death? Think about that. Think about the way that our union with him began. We were baptized into his baptism through his death. Friend, we were dead in trespasses and sin. But by the grace of God, if we've trusted in Christ, he's made us alive. So we ought not to cling to sin, but may we, because of what Christ has done in our union with him, push sin to the side. And cling all the more to Christ. Because we've not only been baptized into his death, we're not just united through his death, we were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we might too walk in this newness of life. Do we need to separate the back pew back there? Come on now. Children are welcome. There's nothing funny about this. We've died to sin if we're in Christ. To forsake sin, not cling to it. And Paul continues to answer and explain this question by rooting it in the person and work of Christ. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we might too walk in newness of life. There was a purpose in this work. We were not saved to stay the way that we were. And friend, if there is very little evidence that there has been a life-transforming work of the Holy Spirit in your life, let me encourage you to press into that. Because if your life doesn't look different now that you've met Christ, perhaps you've not met him. And friends, I want to be one of the first ones to tell you, there are many times in my life where if you ask my wife or kids, Dad, does not look like Jesus today. Forsake that, repent of that, and turn from that. Friends, the same is true in our personal lives. It doesn't just have to be in your marriage relationship. It's in in everything. We don't have any people in here named Karen, so I feel like it's fair game. You, You see the heart attitude of people that is so bitter towards others and, and that is just, is that glorifying to Christ? And the truth is, is so often, whether we say it, we probably think it, why did it take so long for the cash register to get my groceries back up? Why is this idiot in front of me not going? It's been a green light for eight seconds. That one's mine. No one else can have that. That one's mine. But we've been buried in this baptism of death in Christ. The old is done away with. There's no option if you are in Christ to be the old creation. For the purpose that Christ was raised, that we might too walk in newness 
of life, forsaking sin, clinging to Christ, walking in this new life. And Paul continues to unpack this understanding of the work of Christ, saying this isn't just a, yeah, I would like the extra large fries with my Christianity, please. No, this is what Christianity is about. You've been united with Christ. Friend, is your conduct, has your conduct, will your conduct be glorifying to the name in which you claim? Not just on Sundays, not just when you're at work, not just when you're at home, but when no one else will see what you're doing. Will your conduct be glorifying to Christ? In the deepest recesses of your mind and the things that you think about, will your thoughts be those that will bring glory to Christ? For we've been united with Him in a death like His. It's as if Paul is wanting to drive home this fact, you're dead. The old you is dead. So I don't know who you think you are to be able to rise up and say, no, I think I'd rather go my own direction. Paul says, brother, sister, you're, that person doesn't exist anymore. You're new in Christ. Paul elsewhere in Galatians 2.20 says, you've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I that live, but Christ who lives within me. Another place, he says that we are now hidden with Christ in God. Our old lives are no more. Praise be to God. Praise be to God that those things that marked our past of sin and shame and regret and doubts and hopes and unmet expectations, they're done with. They're done with if you're in Christ. So go back to walk in this new way. For we've been united, not only through his death, but through his resurrection. For we know that the old self was crucified with him. This is verse 6. With him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we also live with Him. And we know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over Him. For the death He died, He died to sin once and for all. But the life He lives, He lives to God. Friend, the death that Christ died, the penalty of your sin and mine that he took to the cross was once and for all. He doesn't like the high priest have to go in annually. He doesn't like the people of Israel have to bring sacrifices regularly, daily, bringing sin offerings and grain offerings and meat offerings and all of these things. No, Christ perfect righteousness and his perfect sacrifice is once and for all. 
And we believe that we live with Him. We believe that because these truths are reality, that He has died this death to sin, He will rise, has risen, and will bring us to new life. And it says that this life He now lives, He lives to God. So, Paul's asked the question. He's explained our union with Christ through his death and through his baptism and through his resurrection and through all of these different things, through, you might say, through every area of life. Right? You don't get, I don't get, to only select my union with Christ when I'm preparing a sermon. Or when I'm going on a hospital visit. Or when I'm doing these things that seem super and uber spiritual. In the times where I sin. In the times where I am showing my humanity. And I'm not walking in this new way. Well, No, I don't want to take those. I don't want... It's the whole of life. You have been united with Christ in His death and in His resurrection for the purpose of that we would consider ourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ. Think about that, verse 11. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ. Why? Because he's just grounded it in the work of Christ. He's just grounded it in the fact that Christ died this death for the penalty of sin, and we've died with him in that death if we've clung to Christ. And now Christ lives not for sin, not for these things, but he lives for God. He lives to God. So because Christ did this way and we're united in him, the same expectation is true for us, that we must consider ourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ. There's a tension here. Because the very same author, Paul, the apostle, writes elsewhere of his struggles against sin. Mentioned many times in the pulpit. The, the things that I want to do, the things that are glorifying and honoring to the Lord, the things that would build and uphold and strengthen the church, those often are the things that I don't do. And the things that I deplore, the things that I hate, the things that I wish had no showing and no life in my life are often the things that I do. And he says, how wretched a man am I? So there's this reality and this tension that while we are united with Christ, we are also united against sin. The famous Puritan writes, Be killing sin, or sin will be killing you. Friends, in 2024... May we be new in Christ, dead to sin, and alive to God. How does Paul explain we ought to do this? I love Paul's writing, by the way. 
Paul's writing is awesome, as is all of inspired scripture. Here's what he says. Let not sin, therefore, reign in your mortal body. Paul is giving you the application of what all of this theology and doctrine fleshes out. All right, we've talked about how Christ has died this death and is alive to God. And we've talked about how we are united in him through his death and through his baptism and resurrection. All right, now what do we do with that? He says, don't let sin reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Friend, don't let sin have any hold on your life. I want you to hear me clearly. I think it's impossible to live a sinless life on this earth. Right? We're in agreement. The very fact that we can't live a sinless life is what drives us to the cross of Christ and causes us to be in awe of him. For he truly was sinless. He truly is our substitute. He's our sacrifice. But just because we can't live a sinless life and just because we come to the cross of Christ in grace, trusting in his record, does not mean that we should let sin have a stronghold in our lives. So if we should not let sin reign in our mortal body, we should wage war against sin. Here's how Paul explains it. Remember, he kind of sets it up and he gives this explanation. Don't let sin reign in your mortal bodies to make you obey its passions. Verse 13, do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness. What would that look like? Presenting your members, presenting your body and soul as instruments for unrighteousness. I think there are very clear ways that might be easy for us to identify. Well, presenting your mortal bodies to unrighteousness would be forsaking everything about God and His kingdom. Forsaking the church, attacking the church, attacking any kind of biblical truth. That's easy. That's a low-hanging fruit of like, that's what unrighteousness is. Well, what if the truth of being an instrument of unrighteousness actually seems very righteous in and of itself? What if the desires and pursuits of our accomplishments and even our ministry are totally disconnected from the glory of Christ and our union with Him. Our pursuit of the same thing, when you subtract Jesus from it, is not righteous at all. It's self-righteous, and it's sinful, and it's a different kingdom altogether. So don't present your bodies to sin as instruments for unrighteousness. Think, think about just a few examples of what that would look like. I think I've shared this story at different points. When I was a young child, and I'd sat through sermon after sermon, and I thought for sure I was a Christian because my bottom was imprinted in that first row in the balcony. I know I'm in. 
And then I went to a store with my mom as a seven, eight-year-old little boy, and I love and loved caramels. You know, they've got that spinning carousel of candy that, like, you're supposed to put in a bag and you're supposed to pay for. I think I knew that in my heart of hearts. Somebody needs to pay for this. But I really wanted that caramel. So like Eve, I took and I ate. And for the very first time, a conviction of sin sat in my mind and in my heart. This was not right. This was not okay. This was not glorifying to God. Being a thief, being a liar is not glorifying to God. And that's what I did as a seven, eight-year-old boy offering my mortal body over to unrighteousness as an instrument of unrighteousness. You may say, that's not what this means. Friend, it doesn't mean actively obeying the schemes of the devil and being his own henchman can be a lot more subtle than that. It can be just as My brother-in-law states, anything you think, say, do, or don't do that brings dishonor to the Lord. Can I tell you, I've been a great sinner this week. My thoughts, my words, the things I've done, the things I've not done, cause me to remember being new in Christ and being united in Him, to not present my members as instruments for unrighteousness. But, thank goodness, Paul gives us the positive. Right? If we're not to let sin reign in our bodies, and the negative example is don't present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, we need a positive. And here's a positive. But present yourselves to God. As those who have been brought from death to life, and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. If you were here last week, we didn't have any instruments at all. It was a fun time. But when we think about these instruments of righteousness and these instruments of unrighteousness, we would be playing a different tune than what we were created for. Think about it. One of the most expensive and rare pieces of musical instruments is a Stradivarius violin. Look it up. But imagine... A Stradivarius violin in the hands of someone who has no idea, in the hands of me. (laughs) You could take it to a monkey in the zoo and it'd probably sound better. That instrument was designed to play a specific tune, to resound this sound in such a way that it would magnify the glory of this instrument and the one who plays it. Friend, the same is true for us. We were and have been designed to sing the song of our Creator who has saved us in His Son. So don't play the song of the serpent. Don't play the song of glorying in sin and unrighteousness. Play the song of your Savior. Be an instrument presented to God for righteousness. 
What do you hear from instruments? Noise. An instrument that doesn't make noise is not a very good instrument. Friend, when we're playing the song of our Savior, people will hear us. We will bring glory to Him. And finally, Paul says, For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law, but under grace. This is not a future tense. Hey, one day you can actually attain this. One day... When you get into your 40s, you're going to have your life together and you're going to be able to do this. One good thing. (laughs) No, Paul says this is a present reality that's working its way out, that's rooted and tied into the work of Christ because of this work. Since this happened, you are not under law, but are under grace. Friends, if you've been united with Christ, the old you is gone. And the new has come. Walk in newness. Walk in this way, forsaking sin and clinging to Christ. Let me ask you these questions before we move on. Have you died to your sinful self? Paul is not writing this general letter to all of the population of Rome. That's not how he wrote. Paul was writing to a specific people, the church at Rome. Paul is addressing Christians. Paul is addressing the reality that if you've died in Christ and you've been baptized with him, sin and your old self is gone. But I don't want to assume that that's true of all of us. Have you personally died to your sinful self? Have you forsaken your sin? Have you seen that your sin separates you from a holy and loving God? You may see that. You may be like, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty bad and there's no hope for me. So YOLO. That's not the answer of Scripture. If you've not died to your sinful self before your life comes to an end, you will spend an eternity separated from God. But because of the good news of Christ, you can forsake that sin, unite yourself with Him through His death, through His resurrection, and be made new. I love the story when Jesus goes and Nicodemus calls him to his home. Nicodemus, a person of the law, wants to know, what do I have to do to inherit the kingdom of God? What does Jesus tell him? He doesn't give him a 10-step plan. He doesn't give him four resolutions for 2024. He says, be born again. What's the implication? Be made new. Friend, you can be made new by turning from your sin and trusting in Christ. It doesn't happen by osmosis. It doesn't happen or rub off because you come to church enough. 
It is a personal confession of faith that saves you. Just as I thought as a child that because my family attended church and because my rear end was implanted on that first pew of the balcony, that's not what does it. It's a confession of sin and guilt before the Lord. Believing that Christ is the one who takes that sin on the cross. Second question. If you've died to your sinful self, are you living for Christ by pursuing holiness? Right? The, the imperative, the application, don't present your bodies to sin for instruments of unrighteousness, but B, present yourself to God as instruments of righteousness. Are you living for Christ by pursuing holiness? Just because we cannot live a sinless life does not mean we should not be pursuing holiness for all of our life. That is where we get in so much trouble. We do have the grace of Jesus. And I know that I'm a sinner and I'm wicked. But I'll just keep running back to Jesus and pursuing my sin. Friend, the Bible's very clear about that. If you continue to dabble in that sin, you're not going to turn back to Christ because you've never turned to Him in the first place. So the first question, are you new in Christ? And the second question, if you are new in Christ, are you walking like it? It's so easy for us to point fingers at society. Well... The liberals and the LBGTQ community, woo, yikes. I may not be holy, but I'm better than them. That's not true. If you are in Christ, you are a new creation. You've died in Him. You've been united through His death. You've been raised in Him. You've been united through His resurrection. And now, just as He's presented Himself and living to God, so too might we live. Are you living for Christ by pursuing holiness? Third and finally, as Paul unpacks all of these things to do, he grounds it in the work of Christ. Christ's death on the cross. Christ's resurrection from the dead. Christ ascended to the Father. Third question, how convincing is the work of Christ on your behalf? How convinced are you of Christ's work on your behalf? Christ died for you. Christ came and died to save sinners like me and you. Christ rose, showing his power and authority over death and sin. And Christ's powerful ascension shows us he's reigning today and forevermore. How convincing is that for you? For that's the foundation of what Paul is talking about. You've been united with Christ and here's how. Here's how his work has applied to your life. 
how he made you new in him, gave you a new heart, gave you a new spirit, gave you a new purpose. How convincing is that for you? Friends, above all else, in 2024 and the things that we might hope for, the things that we might strive towards, I'm sure there are many of you that have good ambitions, good hopes. I think many of you, like me, could say, I hope 2024 does not look anything like 2023. We don't know. But may it look nothing like 2023 and that we are resolved to forsake sin and to cling to Christ and to walk in this new life. It starts here. Will we pursue Christ? Will we in 2024 as a church pursue a life lived to God and dead to sin? All of the other things that we might talk about for 2024, they don't matter if we don't get this right. If we're not living lives devoted to the Lord Jesus Christ and to His glory, all the rest doesn't matter. We could have some great benefactor come and give us a large sum of money. It doesn't matter. If we're not doing this individually, nothing else matters. So live lives to Christ. While it may be hard to teach an old dog new tricks or to teach a child a language after a certain age, it's even harder for dead hearts to be made alive. To be made warmed to the things of God. But that is what Christ has done through His death and resurrection and the Spirit making us new. We don't have to resolve to do anything, but may we be reminded that if we're in Christ, we're a new creation. The Spirit now has made us new, given us life, and empowers us to live day after day as instruments of righteousness. And friend, if you've yet to trust in Christ, it's not too late. It's not too late. Among all of the things that I hope 2024 brings, I hope, just as Derek prayed, that not only would we see baptisms fill this baptistry, but that we would see the Lord bring salvation in the lives and the hearts of those, perhaps even in this room, who don't know Jesus, whose lives look nothing like what union with Christ looks like, whose lives are tormented with constant fighting of sin. But friend, it's not too late. For 2024, I pray that the Lord would bring salvation in our homes and in the hearts of those who need Him. It's not impossible. Only the Lord can make us new. And praise be to God that He has in Christ and He's united us with Him. May we walk in this union this next year.